Crest in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Broadcasting from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. And good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta, and we've got another hour talking about the things that matter most. Today, of course, Ash Wednesday, Lent is upon us again. And uh, But let me begin by offering congratulations to two more members of the EWTN radio family. His Mercy Radio, 107.9 FM in Grants Pass, Oregon, is celebrating nine years with us this week. And Sacred Heart Radio, 100.7 in Plainview, Texas, is celebrating 20 years with EWTN. So congratulations to Connie Murphy at KJCR and to Willie Hernandez at KOLF from all your friends here at EWTN. Again, I want to stress, local Catholic radio is essential. Support your local Catholic radio stations, all right? Today, we take up the question of Lent. In today's Gospel, Christ tells us to anoint our head and wash our face when fasting so that only the Father in Heaven knows what we're doing. Does this contradict the act of putting ashes on our head? I mean, if we're to avoid acts of ostentatious piety, why are we running around with ashes on our head? I'm going to talk about that in this uh, commentary for Ash Wednesday that I've worked on. Uh, so that's, that's going to be coming up. Also, I want to say that Tim O'Malley, who many of you may know as one of the uh, spokesmen for the Eucharistic Revival, Tim has uh, published a wonderful piece called Can We Get Lent Wrong in Church Life Journal. And I want to, again, stress this. We're going to have it available for you in the uh, Cresta Guest Archives, all right? And I'll mention one other thing, too, uh, before we get to the headlines, and that is uh, EWTN has published an outstanding new book called New Scientific Evidence for the Existence of God. It's by Jose Carlos Gonzalez Hurtado. It's a book that will challenge atheists and agnostics. Uh, This is a presentation of empirical evidence for theism, Uh, It'll stress the rational uh, coherence of theism, and it does so in a way that you can easily understand. I'm looking forward to the interview with him coming up in the near future on Crest in the Afternoon. But right now, we hit the headlines. Thanks, Al. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria Radio News for Wednesday, February 14th. It's the Feast of St. Cyril and Methodius. Today's news brought to you by the Ave Maria Family of Funds at AveMariaFunds.com. Today is Ash Wednesday. Catholics around the world are marking the beginning of Lent. Many will go to church to have a priest smear ashes on their forehead. The bishop for the Metropolitan New York Synod of the Evangelical Church will distribute ashes to asylum seekers. Multiple sources say at least one person is dead and several people are injured after a shooting at the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl victory parade just a couple of hours ago. A spectator there had to make a run for it. The security guard was like, get over the damn fence right now. Yeah, There's a shooter. 
We hop over. I, I hit my face on accident. I headed in there. I had no idea where he was. The Kansas City fire chief says there could be as many as 10 victims. Police say two armed people have been detained. Multiple hospitals confirming they are treating victims. No one from the team is reported to be injured. Pope Francis will be visiting Venice in April during his one-day pastoral trip to the Italian city on April 28th. The Pope will make a stop at an art exhibition. Francis will also spend some time with members of the local church community. The U.S. is investigating whether Israel misused bombs and missiles and airstrikes that killed civilians. The Wall Street Journal report says weapons investigators suspect a 2,000-pound bomb provided by the U.S., was used in an airstrike on a refugee camp that killed over 125 people. New York Democrat Tom Suozzi will take over the congressional seat once held by Republican George Santos after defeating his GOP opponent in Tuesday's special election. Suozzi won back the seat he vacated in 2022 in an unsuccessful run for governor. From your Avi Maria Radio.net news desk, I'm Steve Clark. I thank you for being with me as we begin uh, an Ash Wednesday reflection. Sometimes the cartoons in the New Yorker uh, actually touch on uh, a theological or spiritual issue. Not often, but uh, I remember one when uh, there was a beautiful cathedral. It's a cartoon again. Beautiful cathedral. People streaming out. They're carrying their priest on their shoulders. His surplice is, is, is flapping in the breeze. And there are two men standing off to the side watching this you know, amazing outpouring of enthusiasm and cheer. And one of the guys says, what the heck happened over there? And the other replies, oh, that priest just said that sin doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> so chances are slim that uh, those of us associated with EWTN and Ave Maria Radio are going to be carried out on the shoulders of our listeners for faithfully teaching and preaching um, the book of Joel, which is what the reading is for today. Uh, Historically, the Catholic Church was known for having a deep and abiding understanding of sin. not merely as a deviation from rules, but as a corruption of the heart. We are, as St. John Paul II puts it, uh, an expert in humanity. And uh, you think of uh, the great Father Brown mysteries. Why was he such an astute detective? Because he knew the brokenness or the bentness of the human heart. 
So the, the texts that are chosen by the church for our reading today are really quite profound, and they make tremendous sense. So I'm going to read them, because if you were unable to get to an Ash Wednesday service, then you should at least be familiar with the text today. The first one comes from Joel chapter 2, and it begins beginning of the chapter, and it goes like this. Then the Lord, then the Lord was stirred to concern for his land and took pity on his people. Even now, says the Lord, return to me with your whole heart. Notice he stirred to concern for his land. I mean, this was his great gift to the Israelites, his land. And he doesn't want them to lose their land. He takes pity on his people, and what does he offer them? He offers them repentance. Turn to me, turn to me, return to me with your whole heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your hearts, not your garments, and return to the Lord your God. For gracious and merciful is he, slow to anger, rich in kindness, and relenting in punishment. Perhaps he'll again relent and leave behind him a blessing, offerings and libations for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, proclaim a fast, call an assembly, gather the people, notify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and the infants at the breast. Let the bridegroom quit his room and the bride her chamber. Between the porch and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare, O Lord, your people, and make not your heritage a reproach with the nations ruling over them. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? Then the Lord was stirred to concern for his land and took pity on his people. Um, again, an Old Testament passage filled with the drama of the day of the Lord. This moment, and the day of the Lord, of course, is, is identified, of course, at the end of time, when we have the great judgment day. But the day of the Lord is also a reference to those moments in human history when God seems to break through into time and space and brings his judgment upon his people and upon those who are the um, enemies of his people. Joel chapter 2 um, gets to that uh, question. Now, it's important to, to then move on, of course, the, the, the responsory psalm is a plea uh, for forgiveness, as you might expect after this passage in the Old Testament, but then it gets to the, uh, the gospel. And let's just jump over there, because the gospel today is Matthew 6, verses 1 through 6, and Matthew 16 to 18. And it goes like this. Jesus said to his disciples, Take care not to perform righteous deeds in order that people may see them. Now, this is a, you know, at first glance, it may look a little funny here. Um, but notice, Joel, the prophet Joel is already getting at that point. Because if you recall, even now, says the Lord, return to me with your whole heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning, mourning, rend your hearts, not your garments, and return to the Lord your God. So he's talking about interior change uh, in, uh, in Joel. So Jesus says, 
take care not to perform righteous deeds in order that people may see them. Again, focuses on the interior life. Otherwise, you'll have no recompense from your Heavenly Father. When you give alms, do not blow a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, to win the praise of others. Amen, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right is doing, so that your almsgiving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites who love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on street corners so that others may see them. Amen, I say to you. They have received their reward. Again, the reward is what? It's the praise of men rather than intimacy with God. But when you pray, go to your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father in secret. Ask your Father who sees in secret, and he'll repay you. When you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, the actors. They neglect their appearance so that they may appear to others to be fasting. Amen, I say to you, they too have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you may not appear to be fasting except to your Father who is in heaven. And your Father who sees what is hidden will repay you. I want to reflect on those passages for a little while here. Today, of course, Lent begins with the sign of ashes. This is a communal sign of repentance. It's God's people have heard his trumpet blast, you might say, and we are now returning to him. All over the world, Catholics are receiving the sign of ashes on their foreheads. It's a sign that they're ready to do penance. It's a pledge. And by its very nature, it's a public matter. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, we don't roll up our sleeves to receive uh, ashes, right? And then pull down our sleeves afterward, just like, you know, we do we get our, our blood taken. You know, we get an injection or our blood taken, uh, put our sleeves back down and cover the, cover the mark. No, not with ashes. We receive them on the foreheads when nobody can fail to notice. And the ashes are um, not blessed to be taken away and used in private. Like, you know, water that's blessed at Easter can be done, but not ashes. Ashes are blessed to be placed on people's foreheads, there and then. We're not meant to bring them home and wear them in private where nobody can see us. They are meant to be seen in public. And this causes a bit of a problem, because uh, today's readings seem to say the opposite. Uh, don't, isn't Jesus condemning any kind of ostentatious display of piety here? In secret invisible. The prophet Joel says, let your hearts be broken, not your garments torn. In other words, let your interior life be fixed. Don't worry about the public display of tearing your garments. And in Jesus' gospel, Jesus says to the disciples, don't parade your good deeds before men to attract their notice. So is Jesus contradicting what he said in Matthew and what we're doing with Ash Wednesday? Uh, Matthew 5.13, didn't Jesus say, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden? Um, you know, don't light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but on a stand where it gives light to, you know, all in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, doesn't that sound contradictory to what he's saying in the very next chapter at Matthew 6, verse 1 on down to 16? about giving alms in secret, about praying in private. He, 
Does he favor visibility or invisibility when it comes to practicing our piety? Uh, if we're to be light, isn't the purpose of a light to be seen by men? Well, but then why does he want it to be done uh, privately here? Some people have tried to present this as a, a contradiction. Um, and at face value, you might say, well, yeah, that is contradictory. But when interpreting Scripture, you have to always ask, what is the author's intention? What's the speaker's intention? Who's he have in mind when he's speaking? So ask yourself, who are we supposed to keep from noticing how wonderfully religious we are in our piety, in our fasting, in our prayer, in our almsgiving? Who are we, who are we supposed to keep from noticing how, quote, spiritual we are? Us. Ourselves. We're not to be self-conscious of doing these things or taking pleasure in our piety. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Let your spiritual discipline be so habitual that you'll no longer notice that you're doing it. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his classic, Cost of Discipleship, points out that uh, disciples should keep on following Jesus and should keep, look, should keep looking forward to him who's going before them. But don't be looking at themselves and what they're doing. The righteousness of the disciple is hidden from themselves. So those of us who would follow Jesus ought to be kind of forgetful in this respect. We should lose our, our um, overpowering sense of self. So as we forget ourself in our, quote, display of piety, uh, his light is able to shine brighter through us. It's not refracted any longer through our own self-preoccupation and busyness. Um, it's not darkened as a result. Jesus makes it clear that we are to follow the Lord in the Lord's way. And how we follow Jesus is as important as the fact that we follow him. The point here is we guard against calling attention to ourselves through our spiritual disciplines. We're supposed to be to such a degree of the cultivation of these virtues that we even forget we're doing them. Dr. Ray Garendi. What is criticism exactly? If you pay close attention, do you notice what most criticism is? Oh, it's not because you're doing something wrong or hurtful, something that needs corrected. Most criticism is you're not doing it the way I would do it. Or you're not doing it the way I want you to do it. That's what most criticism is. And you have to get good at sorting that out. Otherwise, you're going to get real upset when anyone says anything about what you are doing. Now, of course, you could turn this on yourself. Do you do that? Is most of your criticism a message to someone else that says, you're not doing it the way I would do it? Well, save your criticism for things that are really wrong. What is one of the most challenging doctrines of the Catholic Church to comprehend? It is the mystery of the real presence of Jesus Christ in the sacrament of the Eucharist. The Catholic Catechism tells us that Christ is present to his church in many ways, but most especially in the Eucharistic species, and that his presence in these species of bread and wine is unique. 
The whole Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity is truly, really, substantially contained therein. In other words, under sacramental signs, he is physically as well as spiritually present. St. John Chrysostom declares that man does not cause this miraculous occurrence. A man, the priest, acting in the role of Christ, does pronounce the words, but it is Christ himself whose power and grace brings about the transformation of the bread and wine into his body and blood. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization. Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US-1. That's realestateforlife.org. Support for this Ave Maria radio program comes in part by the non-for-profit St. Anthony Services. Are you shopping for mortgage products, Catholic investing, Catholic health, real estate, or estate planning? Services.org can help you find a Catholic professional for these needs. They regularly connect faithful citizens with faith-based professionals that share our Christian values. More information at stanthonyservices.org or 877-LIFE-US-1. The Catechism defines evangelization as the proclamation of Christ and His gospel by word and the testimony of life in fulfillment of Christ's command. But what does that look like in real life? It looks like the St. Paul Evangelization volunteers out on the street sharing the good news with people in a non-confrontational way, handing out free sacramentals, listening to them, praying for them, teaching them, planting seeds, and letting the Holy Spirit make them grow. Visit StreetEvangelization.com and learn more so you can get involved in real-life evangelization. My wife Janet's ancestors arrived in America on the Mayflower, but we never knew that the Catholic missionaries arrived in Florida 50 years earlier. Visit the site where the cross was first planted, where Mass was celebrated, and the first Marian shrine in the New World. Renew baptismal vows in the cathedral in its first baptismal font. Hope you can join us in La Florida, the land of flowers. To learn more about your Ave Maria Radio trip, find the Ave Maria Radio travel tab at AveMariaRadio.net. On this Ash Wednesday, we're taking a look at the readings of today. It begins from the uh, prophet Joel, who in fact talks about something very different than what we just heard in that bit of uh, chant. Uh, He's talking about the blasting of trumpets uh, in a call to worship, a call to repent, and uh, sound the alarm, basically. God is coming, uh, is what Joel's saying in the second chapter. And uh, He's the prophet's alerting us to our need to repent, to return to God. And he's talking about the day of the Lord. 
in how we ought to be living in anticipation of the day of the Lord. And then we have uh, the responsorial psalm as a call, a general call to repentance from the psalms, a very common one that we all know. And then we've got Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 talking to us about keeping our piety, um, not doing it uh, to be praised by men. Really, that's three examples he gives. Uh, the scribes and the Pharisees praying, giving alms, fasting, and how what they're getting is praise from men. They're getting their reward because of their ostentatious religious display. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. And I've said, wait a minute, though. Just the previous chapter, Matthew chapter 5, isn't Jesus telling us to let our light shine uh, before men? How, how does that supposed to work? And the, the, the resolution of that contradiction is to remember that your left hand is not to know what your right hand is doing. In other words, your acts of spiritual discipline are supposed to be so habitual that you don't even know you're doing them anymore, that you're, you're self-forgetful in that regard. Um, in fact, I mentioned um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, whose book, The Cost of Discipleship, has been a modern spiritual classic. Uh, Bonhoeffer says in, in that particular book that the genuine deed of love is always a deed hidden to itself. And it must be, because Jesus is calling us not to attend to our own goodness or our own loves, but rather to follow him. That's what's supreme. Not to let our left hand know what our right hand is doing. When we're giving alms, uh, Jesus' call to discipleship involves an overwhelming self-forgetfulness. We're called to righteousness. We're called to give alms. Um, and these are possible because of what we've received. Uh, Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit by which we are able to cultivate uh, the virtues. And uh, we are unable to do that apart from the gift. We can only do because we've been given. Jesus also directs our attention to prayer. Prayer is a, a perfect activity because when we pray, it's really done for no other purpose than itself, or at least that's what it's supposed to be. Jesus tells us to pray to the Father in secret. The Father rewards in secret. Um, and to pray like that means that uh, we are praying to the one who Jesus has made known. This is important because we're not just praying willy-nilly. We, we are praying to a specific personage. We are praying to God the Father. Jesus knows that even the Gentiles pray but they don't know how to pray. The Gentiles think they need to impress whatever god or gods they're going after because, you know, by the quality of the rhetoric or by the intensity or frequency of their appeals. Jesus isn't surprised that Gentiles pray. After all, God created us to be creatures who desire to pray. But that desire has to be properly formed. And at the very least... We must know that we are to pray to our Father. But that's learned. That's learned from the one alone who knows the Father. And Jesus would tell us that all things have been handed over to him by his Father, and that no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. It's not about our search for God. It's about God's calling of us into intimate communion with him. And 
the whole aim of that is that our, quote, righteousness, our spiritual disciplines, our good deeds have become so habitual that we're entirely self-forgetful of them. The right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. There really is no contradiction between Matthew 5 and Matthew 6. We must be so forgetful of ourselves as we pray, as we fast, as we give alms, that we're not impressed by our own virtue. And as soon as we find ourselves becoming conscious uh, of performing our good deeds in public, when we realize, "Uh uh-oh, I'm doing this to be seen, then we're no longer occupied with the Master. We're occupied with our own status. We're we're wondering what people think of us. We're we're trying to manage impressions, right? We're trying to... um, we're shifting our tone of voice, or uh, we're, we're hoping to somehow create the impression of being a, a good person, because everybody likes a good person. Well, not today. It's Ash Wednesday. Uh, no, today we remember we're ashes. No, ashes. Ashes are not for fragrant anointing. Ashes are not for public presentations. Ashes are dirty. When we receive ashes, it's a sign that we need God's forgiveness and grace. It's not a moment to get the cameras out and make publicity shots. Ashes are about humility. They are about self-forgetfulness. They're about knowing that our self, we we are not, we don't even exist unto ourselves. Our breaths are not our own. We come before God together on Ash Wednesday, acknowledging we have a common nature and we have a common stain on our nature, and it's called sin. And the sign of um, the sight of of so many who are wearing this sign of repentance today should be an encouragement to us. It, It 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 should remind us that in fact many many that you may not know are concerned enough about pursuing Christ and being his disciple that they don't mind being marked as children of the ashes. Um, think of, I mean, ashes are just a wonderful thing to think about here. What are they? I mean, they're, they're just, there's what's, ashes are what's left over after a campfire in the woods, after a picnic, after a bonfire. Um, Sackcloth and ashes, right? It's not a fashion statement. Um, People don't sit around and admire ashes as though they're some kind of ornament. But ashes are a sign of camaraderie and companionship. It's for people who know where they come from and to whom they will give an accounting. You know, what's left over after a family outing? You know, or a brush fire? Um... It's ashes. Um, Ashes are what we see in Auschwitz, in Treblinka. Ashes are what we see in 9-11 in Lower Manhattan. Ashes are a sign that something that was good is not there anymore. Father Fergus Kerr is a Dominican theologian who I like. He pointed out that in 1930, the great philosopher Ludwig Wittgenstein who was a soldier in World War I, the First World War, wrote in his journal, and remember, this is 1930 we're talking about, quote, Out of the previous culture, there will be a heap of rubble and finally a heap of ashes. Yet over the ashes, spirits will hover, end quote. 
Wittgenstein had doubts about where European civilization was going. I mean, he could not have foreseen what was happening, you know, in 1930, before the rise of Hitler. But by 1938, he had become a British subject, so he could visit Vienna without fear of being arrested as a Jew. Um, Kerr also, in his little uh, Ash Wednesday Reflections, gives us a history uh, going back to the 8th century, where they used to form a cross on the forehead of penitents. And by the 11th century, this was a universal custom for both clergy and laity. So this participating in the ashes takes us back through church history, takes us back to the New Testament, takes us back to the Old Testament, where uh, repent those who repent are putting on sackcloth, marking their head with ashes. We want to make those connections. Those are family connections. We are that people. The ashes we put on our foreheads today are usually the residue of the palms with which he celebrated the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday at the beginning of Holy Week last year. So year after year, we're getting these ashes on our foreheads. Uh, we're told that it's uh, out of dust that we have come, and it's to dust that we'll return. Uh, it's uh, the sweat of our face that we eat bread till we return to the ground out of which we're taken. And yet, for all of our mortality, for all of our inclination to do sin, for all the sorrow with which we're afflicted, the ashes are always there as a sign of repentance and humility and conversion, not a sign ultimately of death. It's a sign of turning, and however terrible things are, and in our day, things have been, at least in my experience, things have turned out uh, socially, culturally, and ecclesially, have turned out uh, much worse than I had anticipated. Uh, No matter how terrible things are, though, there is that unquenchable hope. And we find it in the rubble. We find it in the ashes. We find a continuing presence of the Spirit. We, we find there, century after century, the hovering of the souls who have gone before us. The, those, the blessed, who are now interceding for us and, and waiting to receive us into their company in communion with the blessed Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. These are ashes, but they're much more than ashes. They are a sign that we are being born again to a living hope, that we are provided that we receive them in repentance, that we are set upon a journey of return to the Father, that uh, he's there waiting us, waiting for us, welcoming us with all the joy, the enthusiasm, and welcome that we see in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son, which actually ought to be called the parable of the prodigal father because of the extraordinary joy with which he receives his son, even racing out to meet him. Ashes are a sign of that joy when we return. Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization. Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro-life real estate agents around the world. 
When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US-1. That's realestateforlife.org. Do you own popular index mutual funds or ETFs? If so, you're automatically owned shares of companies that conflict with your moral beliefs. Ave Maria Mutual Funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria Mutual Funds. The experienced professional portfolio managers make decisions based on investment fundamentals and pro-life values. You can learn more about Ave Maria Mutual Funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith based health sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844 398 9399. That's 844 398 9399. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio. Father John Ricardo served as our spiritual director, and he gave us a theme on which to speak. He asked all the speakers to address this statement in some way, shape, or form, because of you, I know God. And that hit me and Deacon Dominic when he first put that out there, like a ton of bricks. Because basically, that's our story. And I believe if we stop and think about this, because of someone in our life, whether it be maybe a relative or maybe someone at work or maybe someone on the street, who was it that witnessed to you? And because of that person, you either came to know the Lord or know him and your one holy Catholic and apostolic church better and more intimately. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. It's time for Family Man with Dr. Gregory Popchuk. Parents often complain that their kids either don't do their chores or don't do a good job with them. How can parents teach kids to do chores well? The easiest way to teach kids healthy attitudes toward chores is to create family work rituals where families do chores together. Daily family work rituals give parents and kids an opportunity to work side by side, learning good stewardship, responsibility, and teamwork. Family work rituals provide on-the-job training for chores so that when kids eventually get their own chores, they know what's expected of them and how to do them well. That's one reason family rituals for working together are such an important part of Catholic family life. To discover more ways your family can celebrate the liturgy of domestic church life, check out the newest editions of Parenting with Grace and visit CatholicCounselors.com. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak, but you can call me Family Man. To discover more ways faith can enrich your life, visit CatholicCounselors.com.
afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Isn't it remarkable how many forms we have learned to say, Lord, have mercy, over the ages? Liturgical ways of saying it, musical ways of saying it, um, theatrical ways of saying it. But that appeal, Lord, have mercy, uh, is really one that, of course, is warp and woof of today's Ash Ash Wednesday. (laughs) When I, you know, every year I think about what we're going to be doing on the program for Ash Wednesday. And I go back and I, you know, look through some of the things we've done in the past. And I've noticed time and again, I I start, I didn't do it today, but in the past, I, I tend to start by saying, does it bother anyone else that Lent is just too familiar? So I'm going to ask that at the close of this segment, of the, I mean, of this hour. But we've done it so many times before, right? Ash Wednesday and Lent. And those sins that you're repenting of and doing penance for, how many of them are new? I mean, probably not many. I mean, me either. They're a little too close, a little too familiar. They're kind of like ugly, <laughs> unkempt relatives that have been hanging around your house too long. It's, t- <laughs> it's really time for them to go. But they don't seem to get the message. <laughs> so you do it again this Lent. Maybe they'll get the message this time and go packing. Um, and then, so it's not it's not odd if you feel a bit disappointed. Another year has gone by. Um, didn't you think you'd be more what sanctified, more holy than you are now, more generous, more merciful, more loving, more observant of the needs of others? More willing to help out, uh, less interested in being entertained, less interested in letting your thoughts go where they clearly shouldn't, less angry at your political enemies, more interested in the common good, not so much interested in winning issues as winning souls. I mean, didn't you hope that by now you'd be a better steward of your money uh, and your time, or that you'd be more patient with the kids, or how about gluttony you snake no it's more like a mule that's fighting sins like pushing a mule you get behind it you push it forward and all it does it shifts its weight it doesn't go anywhere oh yeah i mean look there I, I, i'm not despairing here it's not that all that bad there are victories i am less impulsive less apt to get angry i'm less apt to raise my voice i i think i'm beginning to see the cultivation of virtue of patience a bit, uh, I'm able to endure frustration. It's a good beginning. And if there's one thing that's changed um, for me uh, from my earliest days as a Christian is that I no longer think of the church as a kind of West Point for high-octane spiritual achievers who are trained to become kind of the Olympic team of uh, spirituality. Now I'm very much like Pope Francis's image of the church as a field hospital, in which almost everyone in it is wounded in some way. All, even the healers are wounded, right? So I think that's good. I'm, I think that's an improvement over where I was uh, back what, in the mid-1970s. So I'm going to try to make Lent not so familiar. Um, it's, a good idea, it's a good practice, by the way, to actually um, get, get help. 
get help during Lent, you know, to keep you focused. Matthew Kelly has a daily uh, email exhortation. Um, uh, Sister John Dominic over at the Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, they have a Lenten journal which focuses on teaching the virtues and the practices of prayer, fasting, almsgiving. But it's a unique uh, method, with very wonderful insight. It's a lovely exercise for Lent. Um, We'll have, we'll have those tools linked for you, too, uh, at AveMariaRadio.net. Uh, we, well, while I'm thinking of it, let me mention, too, we have a wonderful uh, set of Lenten reflections by our friend uh, Marcus Peters available in uh, our featured videos section. So if you go to AveMariaRadio.net, uh, you know, take a look at these, what we call the slider there, and you'll see these various... Uh, Lenten tools available for you, so let me urge you to do that. Ever since I was a little boy, Ash Wednesday has been the kickoff of Lent, right? Same thing for you. Lent's been a time of penance and resolution to change, and that's as it should be. Penance is related to repentance. In Greek, the word is metanoia. It, It means to turn, and we usually think of it as having deep moral significance. The truth is, though, that the word itself is morally neutral. It it, it can mean to turn. Uh, In fact, in the Old Testament, it's often used that way. Somebody changes his mind, or they reverse an earlier judgment. It's a change. It's a turning. Judas, Matthew 27, 3, is talked about as having changed his mind. That's metanoia. But the most common use of the word, especially within the Christian tradition, has to do with conversion, change, turning of heart and soul. It means turning or returning, and it's used of people who have rebelled and now are returning to serve the rightful king. It's used of a faithless wife or husband returning to their spouse, uh, or it's used to uh, refer to uh, somebody who's played... uh, a religious harlot in search of other gods, and is now returning. It means much more than a change of mind. It means a reorientation of your entire life and personality. It means adopting, or at least embracing the intention of a whole new line of conduct. It means turning from sin and turning to God. And that was the fundamental call of the prophet's of Israel. It is interesting to study the 12 minor prophets and then, of course, the four major prophets. They all have one thing in common. It doesn't matter when or where they were prophesying. The one thing they all have in common is this call to return to the Lord. Change must happen. A change has got to come. And this return to the Lord has a sense of motion, too. Return from exile. Return to the Lord. There's, there's the external space and time movement, you know, from Babylon to Jerusalem. That's a changing, that's a turning. But it's really symbolic of the movement of one's heart from laxity and sin and captivity to doing justice and walking humbly and turning to God. So that, that whole imagery of, you know, return from Babylon to Jerusalem is meant to be, uh, you might say, a metaphor for our interior life, from turning from sin, bondage, and captivity to Zion, to uh, God's gift, uh, to doing justice, walking humbly, and turning to our God. It's really an amazing word uh, because it, it 
doesn't refer to turning south or east or 130 degrees. It means interior turning. Um, uh, the command to repent, believe the gospel, is a call to motion inside or to move from sin. And it's what? Think about it. Usually some habitual sin that's carved its groove into our neurology. Temptation is what? Temptation is an invitation to slide down those neural pathways of habit, and then bang, you're thick in the swamp of you know, anger or lust or arrogance or self-pity. Sin siphons off life. It wastes it. Uh, sin is a precursor to death. It, it leads to bondage, captivity, and eventually suffocating of the soul. But when you turn, when you have that interior movement, you move from death to life, from bondage to liberation, from guilt to forgiveness, from darkness to light. The sinful self turns to the suffering but victorious Savior. And that's what Ash Wednesday is to be about. That's the return. The repentance is the motion of return uh, to Christ himself. And what we mean when we say turn, repent, is we mean taking our attention from fastening it, fastening it on one thing that's been destroying our life, sometimes subtly, sometimes overtly, and swinging it around to something else. The turn is from sin to God. You have to will it. And I keep stressing to people, too, that it, it, has, it can be small. It can be a small turning. I know we all like the big stories. I, what that, I saw a story the other day of a, a fellow who um, was uh, committed to drink alcohol, right? Um, what we would call an alcoholic today. This was from an earlier generation. And he was one of those who, when he turned to the Lord, uh, his desire for alcohol was entirely stripped from him. That's dramatic. That's not uh, my experience of what I've seen in my extended family. I've seen people who have had to fight regularly uh, to remain uh, sober. But it does happen. It can be dramatic. But I, I think it's important for us not to focus on the dramatic. We know it's there. For us, it's, it's the little turning. So when there is that invitation that temptation gives to slide down that neural pathway to lust or anger, to take the moment and do something simple to turn your attention from that to an Our Father, a Hail Mary, uh, something. Make any motion to release yourself from that grip. Um, you know, we live in a world which is constructed. When, when, when the scriptures tell us uh, that we're not to become friends of the world, world there has a, a technical meaning. It means the entire social networks and systems that are out there that are intended to make survival first and the pursuit of basically money, sex, and power. The whole consumer world is about messaging. It's about forming our identities around survival and around the pursuit of money, sex, and power. Um, you know, 
repentance is about turning from that messaging. Uh, turning from these, this calling for acquisition, uh, for external beauty, for influence, to turn your attention to God, to uh, fasten on the God. And remember, he's there to welcome you. I think this is where the disciplines of the spiritual life we sometimes forget have to be habitual. Um, we do them over and over and over again until they become second nature and habitual. This is the way the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. So don't ever really avoid that feeling that I talked about at the beginning of the segment, that we've done this so many times before. We have. If you're a musician, you know what it means to practice your instrument and how necessary it is to master that instrument and to create music. The spiritual life isn't too different from that. We practice. We do things over and over and over again in order that we forget that we're doing them at all and they become second nature. I'm Al Cresta. Be back in just a moment. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. The following program is brought to you in part by MyCatholicWill.com. Surveys show that more than half of Americans do not have a will. At MyCatholicWill.com, it takes as little as 15 minutes to write your will and secure a legacy of faith. MyCatholicWill.com is the exclusive online destination for creating a Catholic will. The process of writing a will is simple and now more accessible than ever. MyCatholicWill.com, a legacy of faith for those you love. Ave Maria Radio invites you to feast on the joy of fasting this Lenten season and all year long. Fast from anger. Feast on patience. Fast from pessimism. Feast on optimism. Fast from worry. Feast on divine providence. Fasting is a part of true Christian life. It liberates us from this world as we grow closer to Christ. Ave Maria School of Law is the Roman Catholic Law School in the United States. Consistently ranked in the Princeton Review as one of the best and most conservative law schools, as well as pre-law's most devout law school. Ave Maria School of Law provides a traditional legal education while emphasizing how the law intersects with the Catholic intellectual tradition and natural law philosophy. Ave Maria School of Law, unabashedly Catholic, consistently excellent. For more information, visit AveMariaLaw.edu. Thank you so much for being with me over the last two hours. Uh, we've got uh, congratulations going out to uh, two more members of the EWTN radio family. We've got His Mercy Radio, 107.9 FM in Grants Pass, Oregon, celebrating nine years with us this week, and Sacred Heart Radio, 100.7 in Plainview, Texas, 20 years with EWTN. 
So congrats to Connie Murphy at KJCR and to Willie Hernandez at KOLF from all of us here at EWTN. Let me also urge you to follow up on our conversations today by going to AveMariaRadio.net. Dave's book is available in the online bookstore there. And we will have Tim O'Malley's article that I referred to, Can Can We Get Lent Wrong? That'll be available in the uh, uh, Crested Guest archives. You go to AveMariaRadio.net, look in the upper right-hand corner, you'll see my face, tap it, and you're on your way to the guest archives. Thanks so much for being with me today, and Lord willing, we'll have another time for Cresta in the Afternoon tomorrow. Cresta in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio, and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. To follow up on any of the guests or information presented on today's program, visit the Cresta Guest Archive at AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-M-A-R-I-A Radio.net. To listen to this or any other edition of Cresta in the Afternoon, visit the audio archives at AveMariaRadio.net. Or to order a CD of the program, call 734-930-4506 or email orders at AveMariaRadio.net. That's 734-930-4506 or orders at AveMariaRadio.net.